0: Hello, hello, hello! Welcome back to the Ninety Min Podcast. I'm Chris Dealy and I'm joined by the website's senior correspondent Jamie Spencer. Hello. And Scott Saunders. Hello. And Scott's back from his week uh, competing in surfing competitions in the Bridgend swimming pool.
1: I'll have you know, I came third.
0: Out of three.
1: Um.
0: Out of two. <laughs> Uh, but we are reduced to a trio once again, and unfortunately may be that way for some time after last week's episode about the Chinese Super League, the 90-minute powers the B Realised they could probably sell Aiden off as a, as an up-and-coming striker, uh, so he's going to be off with Chinese League two-side Sichuan Long 4 for the foreseeable future. In his absence, we're going to get grumpy, um, that is specifically today, not just generally. Uh, with our own football-related version of Room 101, where we consign our biggest pet peeves and outright footballing hates to the torture chamber never to be seen or heard from again. Jamie, this topic was your brainchild a little. Would you uh, like to start us off? The most, One of the most annoying things for me here
2: is, is Mexican waves. I don't know how <laughs> yes! I feel about those. I go to a football match or indeed any other sporting event, it doesn't seem to matter what it is, you'll end up at some point over the course of the afternoon or the evening or whatever it is, getting caught up in a Mexican wave. And I'm just one of those sad people that sits there arms folded whilst it goes on around me, refusing to take part. I just can't stand the whole... uh, I just, I don't know. I can't stand it.
0: It, it, It's essentially mandatory fun,
2: isn't it? It's not fun, though. You stand up like a moron and wave your arms around for half a second. (laughs) And then what's worse is that you get all the people around you focusing on the mexican wave when's it going to come round when's it going to come round when's it going to come round when do i get to stand up look, look like a complete tool again
0: i, th- I think a mexican wave is that it does serve a purpose but that purpose is to let everyone know that this is the dullest point of the afternoon so far
2: it doesn't even have to be the dullest point though, no. i think it depends it depends what you're at or what what event you're at but sometimes it's just the nature of the people in the crowd you know like if you go to a i don't know a preseason game or like a, something that's more like a one off There's going to be a lot of kids and and other kind of people there and kids are just... They have short attention
0: spans. Isn't it generally a cure for boredom? I think it was for a while and then then it was just... Fashionable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I I don't know them either.
0: I was at Wembley um, a couple of times this... uh, or last year now for the American football and I think at one point in one of the games there was a Mexican wave that went round seven times around the stadium without stopping. Oh...
2: Which game was that? Because I was at one of them, and there was a Mexican wave in that one, in whatever game I went to as
0: well. No, yeah, you know. I think it was the, I think it was the Jags game, uh, which yeah. is weird because it was a, re- it, again, it was a really exciting game. It was low quality. It was basically Southend against Scunthorpe, but it was still exciting. But no, because crowds are stupid and crowds like Mexican waves.
2: That's probably what, that's what I mean again by the. Sometimes it's just the nature of the people in the crowd. It's not always to do with what's going on on the pitch. You know, it's not even Mexican. They get the credit for it. It's not Mexican. This is—I think it was an American invention, like in the at the collegiate level, and then I think because it was first seen on like a global stage at the nineteen eighty-six World Cup, it was named for Mexico.
0: And obviously I i always meant to look up, and then never actually got around to it. Um, why it was called a Mexican wave? But no, it's just. Eight-six World Cup is just where it was seen.
2: I think so, like globally at least. As I said, it was it was a, a thing of, of American college sports before then.
0: Damn. Okay, well, I th- I think can we can we roundly agree to dunk uh, Mexican waves? Just call them waves that nobody wants to do, or um,
1: <laughs> let's come up with a creative name for them.
0: I I know I've heard recently on um, I think on some cricket commentaries, perhaps it's just oh, and the wave has started, which makes it sound. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of into that because it makes it sound about as ominous as it feels. Yeah, I agree. Yeah,
2: there is that moment though where you can feel it starting. And you just like praying, pray for something exciting to happen so that people get distracted and forget about it.
0: I think we've established quite early on here that we hate fun. Oh yeah. Oh. I, think, I think between us we, we've managed that. Unless anyone has <laughs> any really pressing points to make about Mexican waves, should we shuffle along to uh, to Scott's first candidate?
1: Let's shuffle on, shall we? Um, I still have um, on the subject of fans. I have, I have two, but i
0: yeah, hate hate fans as well.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with one briefly, and then I'll move on to something a bit more pertinent to uh, recent days. Um, half and half scarves um, is a general hate for most football fans. I mean, why do you have them? I mean, what what is the point of them? Support one club. Don't have two clubs on a scarf just for a souvenir. It just doesn't make sense any sense to me at all um but anyway um my main point for this one was fans who throw coins at players it was i i know i didn't i confess i didn't actually see much uh, m- much football at the weekend because it was an fa cup weekend and uh, i was off
0: uh gallivanting somewhere is it, do yeah. you also hate the fa cup is this something else we're going to find out
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's as much as it's lost its magic, I actually think it has, and it, it kind of bores me nowadays. But um, needless aggression, I mean, who throws coins at people? Why, why would you ever consider doing that? Especially when it, it's, it's, it's obviously not okay to do it at any players, but especially when West Brom fans throw them at their own players. I mean, it's disgusting.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that was, that was the weird thing this weekend, was it was um, West Brom... Uh, A West Brom fan throwing a coin at one of their own players, and Chelsea fans throwing coins at young Man City players who have never... They've not done enough to have a grudge built up against them. It was just... It's the the most brainless of the brainless.
2: More brainless when you consider the fact that those fans wouldn't have had enough money for chips on their way home as well. A point on um, half-and-half scarves, though. I, I... I understand where you're coming from, I understand a lot of people don't like them, but I'm not entirely sold on this awful hatred of them, I think in also... circumstances I think in certain circumstances they're acceptable, you know, if it's like a, a cup final or, or a special friendly or, or something like that, I, I think it's I acceptable.
1: should have clarified, I mean, I'm, I'm not when, when it's of direct rivals that I don't get, and I do understand it to a degree, like you said, for cup finals and big days out and things like that, but generally, they are an irritant for me
2: What about the world of Football tourism, though, if uh, you—I know—if you're a German fan coming over and you come to a United Liverpool game, you want like a momentum for the day. You're not a supporter of either team, but you want like a.
0: Yeah, but you got the programme. I mean, that's that's the point of match programmes, isn't it? Okay,
1: right. I want to change my answer. It's just come to me now. Half and half shirts. What is the
0: deal with those? Now that's a recent thing, is it not?
2: I don't really think I've ever seen that many of them, to be
0: honest. I think I think that's something that's come out in kind of people have almost seen how how much half and half scarves are exploding, and it's just like what what's bigger than a scarf? And so they make the worst clothes in history.
2: I think I remember seeing one once. It was it was years and years ago, um, and it was like a documentary about the Ferdinand family, and it must have been before. Uh, United West Ham game where they had Rio Ferdinand on one team and Anton on the other team and there was like a little kid he must have been a cousin or another brother or, or something and he had a, a half and half United and West Ham shirt but because he had like relatives on both teams so is that I, mean, I feel that's more acceptable
0: I, th- I think that's okay but that is a massively one-off scenario <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I'm, I'm looking through
0: my uh through a google search now there's one
1: picture of Adrian Childs um it must have been at Euro 2004, I think, when uh, Croatia played England, and he had because he's half Croatian. He had um, a Croatia and England half and half shirt. But I kind of I get that now. It's kind of more when there's another image here of a fan with a half and half of Chelsea, Man United shirts.
0: Why was it not Falcao?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I should have researched this more. This literally just popped into my head just now. So sorry if I no. But
0: you're right. They they are. Um... They're just irritate They make. They just look weird.
1: That's me, Dunish, on that.
0: That's you, dunnish on that, right? Um, well, mine's a lot less. Uh, it's a lot less whimsical than the uh, than the half and half scarves and shirts and the and the Mexican waves. Top and centre of my list, are Sunderland. Uh, I could probably reel off some things about Lee Catamole and the way they let down the really quite likable Dick Advocate and the rest of that, but. There's just one thing that dwarves everything else. and it's Honestly, it's taken me a little while today to simmer down enough uh, to not make this just a five-minute segment of me swearing into a mic. And obviously, is Adam Johnson. It's just so mind-bogglingly obvious that what he's done is horrendous that I'm not even going to get into that specifically, I think. His presence on this list is basically a, a, a no-brainer. But Now, Sunderland kept playing him for the last nine months or so since he was formally charged and at the time it felt weird like maybe suspended with pay until the investigation's over you know you're in a very public position you've got tens of thousands of people cheering you on um they fired him as soon as he formally pleaded guilty obviously but he's now straight up said in court that the club knew exactly what he'd admitted to before he pleaded guilty formally and they kept playing him and I I don't know exactly how morally bankrupt you have to be as an organization to keep putting a man out on the pitch knowing that he's done what he's done but I mean that's just about as bad as it gets I really thought I couldn't be surprised by the lack of moral judgment in this sport anymore but just new depths
2: it was weird though because they actually did suspend him briefly and then reinstated him so I think at that point everybody assumed that he like insisted on his innocence, and they believed him or something. But obviously, there's not a lot more to it than that.
0: Was he not also on his way back from injury at the time, which was why he missed a couple of games?
2: Well, they definitely did suspend him, and they because they did like reinstate him. And it was like a thing again, and everybody at that time, I think, just assumed that because there were the Sutherland fans were very, very vocal in their support for him. Like you know, don't judge him until anything has been proven or whatever. And I think in these last couple of weeks, it's suddenly I think they feel like they've been made to look like chumps with that level of support
0: i just as an organization how nobody managed to stand up and say hey guys do you think it's the mitchell and webb sketch isn't it are are we the bad guys i I don't know how someone could sit there watch him play for your club possibly play alongside him obviously he said the club knew i don't know how deep that stretches whether he told a couple of people at the top of the club or whether it was reasonably widespread knowledge, but that's just got to be so weird for everyone else around there. I, d- I don't know how you justify that to yourself. I really don't. Maybe it's just like blissful
2: ignorance or, I don't know, tempted blissful ignorance. I don't know. I, I'm,
0: I'm, just I'm just
1: really disturbed by it all.
2: Yeah. I...
1: I mean, pretty sure that everybody stands in the same direction with regards to what actually happened and that kind of thing. But I mean... This latest revelation about Sunderland now is just—it's just made it. If it was even possible, it's made it worse. Yeah, I did. I didn't think it could get any worse, to be honest.
0: No, it's uh, it is about as about as grim as it gets. And to stop this from becoming uh, horribly depressing, we should probably move <laughs> on because there's nothing. I, I don't think there's anything we can say about this that, that can really add to the conversation. You
2: just put a massive downer on things now. It's <laughs> just my
0: job. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott won't know and, and the listeners won't know um that I spent ten minutes putting a massive rambling dreadful downer on last week's podcast that I completely edited out. So no, that's just that's my job now. I'm I'm the buzzkill. I'm eel. But anyway, um on to things that aren't adam johnson jamie you've come into this with a handful of things so do you want to rattle off a couple my first one here just uh, another quick one
2: change kits or away kits when there's no color clash
1: I-, I think there's a reason behind that
2: i think there is a reason behind it but the reason behind it is really sad i assume it must come into like quotas with sponsors and kit manufacturers and stuff yeah you've got to wear this kit a certain amount of times in a year arsenal are terrible for it they, they wear an away kit like a ridiculous number of times in a season. yeah
0: I was actually thinking about this the other day. Um, I forget what match I was watching that, that brought it into my mind, but I, w- I was getting irritated by it and I was like, Oh, it must be a quota thing and that's just dire.
2: I can't remember what game I was watching a few weeks ago. But it was somebody in a in a change kit that didn't need to be in a change kit, and their change kit made it more of a colour clash than it would have been. <laughs> I like, that really does push it too far. I mean the one I can the ones I can think of off the top of my head was is um Arsenal and Leicester both times they played in the Premier League this season the um, the away side has worn a, a change kit Arsenal wore gold when they played at the King Power and Leicester wore black
0: the other week That's oh, just completely needless
2: it is i mean you know red and blue is is not Arsenal playing red shirts white shorts white socks Leicester playing all blue there is absolutely nothing that anybody could possibly conceive as a, as a, any sort of clash show it's just it
1: all boils down to money
2: Maybe that's a Puma thing, I don't know. Because Arsenal changed their um, club charter, or or what the, I don't know what the, the correct term for it is, but when they um, ended their Nike contract and they got the Puma deal, they formally changed the wording of, I don't know what it's called, the club charter, saying that we'll, from now on, have three new kits every season for the duration of this contract or whatever, whereas before they were like the last team in the Premier League to have a new kit every two seasons. So they've gone from being like the last of the traditionals to the forefront of the new age money grabbing mercenaries
0: no no really don't pull your punches <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was just a short one so i'll say um pronunciation that's a big one you know you've got a commentator and they just i don't know if it's because they can't or because they've not heard it somebody else say it or they just see it written down and come up with their own weird and wonderful way of, of saying it but yeah pronunciations of player names during much commentaries Particularly the one that stuck out for me um, a few weeks ago was when he was on Match of the Day and he had Jonathan Pearce on it on Manchester City. and <laughs> This was what really twigged it, actually. I hadn't thought about it for a while before then. But yeah, it was Kevin De Bruyne. And I'm like, that's not his name. De Bruyne or De Bruyne. Like, that's, that's not his name. That's not even how it looks like it's on. That's not how anybody else says it. The other one that, um, for the last couple of years as well, that really, really sort of gets on me is... Santi Cazzola. That's quite an easy one to say because it sound it, it it sounds how it reads, how it looks on a page, but you get all sorts of wacky ways of saying it. it's like Cazzola, Cazzoli, Cazoli, Cazuli, all of those different things.
0: I don't think I've heard two commentators say Kalechi and Acho's name the same way consecutively. But I was listening to the Spurs City game on the train on the uh, five live Five Live or Talksport, one or the other, Last Sunday before last, and um, the actual, the lead commentator, God bless him, he was trying, he, he could say Iheanacho, he knew how words sound when they come out of your mouth, but unfortunately he was working with Robbie Savage,
2: <laughs>
0: who steadfastly refused to say anything but "iniacho." That's what gets me, because if you've not seen it, or if you've not heard it before, and you get it wrong, that's fair enough. But when there is somebody sat next to you pronouncing it right about once every 30 seconds, because he was quite well in the action, and you still get it that wrong, maybe you have to be as ignorant as Robbie Savage to do it. But
2: Maybe that should bring me on to my sort of sub-point on this pronunciation thing. is not, not, not main commentators, but co-commentators. There seems to be a, a dearth of quality in the, in, the, in the art of co-commentating these days.
1: That's actually my next point. (laughs) Well,
2: I'll let you talk about that then.
1: I've just... Because last year, last February, I wrote uh, an article for the Huffington Post about this. Just when Gary Neville was at the peak of his powers on Sky. When Savage was just really starting to irritate people on TV, on BT. Michael Owen's pretty bad as well. I think we all know that. In this Huffington Post article I wrote, I actually called Sky as close as as we'll get to a football haven for commentary. I think I've changed my opinion since who does guy have Niall Quinn
2: I quite like Nile Quinn not, not, the, worst, not well.
1: the worst but not the best either um, but yeah generally across the board I think BT are probably the worst off for it, Owen and Robbie Savage in particular well they draw the ire of a lot of people on social
2: media I was going to say BT do have uh, a redeeming one Glenn Huddle's quite good, I quite like Glenn Huddle. he seems to bring reason and logic to the arguments rather than just like littering their place with cliches
0: See, uh, Hoddle's alright, but then sometimes he just says something that is so far removed from reality I honestly start questioning whether I'm going mad for agreeing with things that he said before <laughs> Well, I suppose if you put a microphone in front of anyone for long enough they'll say stupid things but um, yeah, he, he's certainly the best of the lot
1: It's quite true, I'm just looking at uh, obviously Michael Owen quotes just for a bit of a laugh I think this was in reference to Manchester City when they don't score, they hardly ever win.
0: That's the I think Owen and Savage are kind of the two opposite ends of why I really don't particularly like having uh, ex-players on as co-commentators. Uh, I think they work. I think they work well in the studio because they've got time to, you know, they they can look at a bit of tape, analyse it, and say, as a player, you can do this, 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 and this. But as commentators. They need to think on their feet and it takes a lot more broadcasting experience than a lot of them have ever had. So you get Owen on one side of the scale who just says this banal nonsense that's either so obvious that you could literally have a 10-year-old pointing out the same thing, or he's just dull. And then you've got Savage on the other side of who's there, essentially because throughout his career everyone's said, yeah, he's Robbie Savage, he's a character. And then people have said, yeah, let's employ Robbie Savage because he's a character. And then people have said, yeah, let's, oh my God, no, let's not watch BT Sport. Then we actually have to listen to what he says. And he just shouts nonsense all the time. He's always wrong. Even when he's right, he's wrong. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I think my issue with Michael Owen is is more to the, the idea he seems to have learned his trade by picking up all the bad habits of everybody that's ever come before him. You know, so I don't know if these I don't know if these ex players who go into media get like on the job training on you know media pointers or, or things, but he seems to the way he sort of delivers his words, the what he says, it seems to be everything that's ever been bad about co commentary and punditry. It's not like Gary Neville who came in and sort of reinvented the idea in the role. Often you don't even, it could be any much, you just the, the cliches are so generic and...
0: They do get bits and pieces of um, of kind of training and guidance which I think is...
2: has probably listened to people who've done this job before and he's just copied exactly the same things. So I think yeah, pretty much. to have all these like key phrases on them.
0: Yeah, and it, it's really irritating because I've, I've worked on sports commentary with ex-pros and when you get the right ones in they can be really really insightful and it's it's a view that you literally it's impossible to get from someone who hasn't played the game to a professional level those people certainly in football usually end up coaching the people who can articulate the ideas tend to um, be articulating those ideas to other players because coaching is more rewarding than sitting in front of a microphone for an hour and a half, and they end up with people like Michael Owen and and, uh, and Savage who are there for they're there because of who they are, not because of what they can do. Yeah, I think that's pretty much bang on.
1: Do Do you remember the uh, another thing about Savage that irritates me is um, how he's done certain FA Cup matches, and uh, I'm just looking at it now. I can't believe that Dover versus Crystal Palace was last January. I thought it was a lot more recent than that. Um, but I don't know if any of you saw it. Um, I think it was the third round um, on BT, and he was absolutely a- obliterating Dover for being below par. He was completely just picking faults in them. And this, this is a team who are, going to guess it, five divisions below the Premier League, four divisions below. And it's just, it doesn't take any skill at all.
2: It doesn't seem fair to like, tear a team apart when it's like their special day and they've punched yeah. a... All expectations just to get to that point, and of course they're going to get beaten by a, a better team, a professional team.
0: Do you know what that ex- exactly? That reminds me of is um, have either of you seen the video of Michael Owens scoring against uh, some teenager and yes. just going off and celebrating? Neville Southall just doing something. was well done, Michael. He's thirteen.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I actually watched that series when it was on TV. For um, it must have been like
0: nineteen ninety eight or nineteen
2: ninety nine, sometime around then. It was they did it at the. Uh, Britannia Stadium, I think, when it was new. It was on CBBC.
0: Has anyone got anything more on co-commentators or should we move on to, to the next candidate on the list? I'm ready to move right. on to your next candidate. Right, so, so my next candidate on the list is George Mendes, the so-called super agent. Not necessarily just because of him and who he is, although that, that is a very large part of it. But what he represents... Among agents, he he seems to be at the forefront, at the cutting edge of every single really really irritating uh, and frankly damaging practices in uh, in football agency. I know it's not exactly a rarity for agents to um, to represent managers and players at the same time, but there's just bits and pieces of Mendes moves that just they just don't seem quite right. Things like uh, Falcao going to Chelsea. That was like a personal favour, wasn't it? That's the thing. I don't want to accuse him or Mourinho of actually, you know, you scratch my back and sign this player. I will make a lot of money and it'll be great. But there was no logical reason for that move other than the manager and the player are both represented by the same agent. And it's just even if there's nothing dodgy going on, it just feels wrong.
2: He's built entire clubs, hasn't he? Like, I, I think maybe things have started to change perhaps a little bit more recently. But over the last few years, he's had very, very close relationships with obviously Real Madrid, but also Valencia and Monaco. And if he has like one or two clients at a place, so the club will like approach him and, and ask him for to bring them players and, and he ends up like building a whole team for a club and he's not the only one i think it's a growing trend as well
0: yeah it, it is a growing trend and that's what i mean it's it's as much about what he represents as as him himself but you know like even back in 2008 he was um luis felipe scolari was uh, one of his clients at the time possibly still is i'm not quite sure and then a the year of 2008, he was allowed like super privileged access to the Portuguese team hotel by Scolari. So he can chat with all the players just because he happens to, oh yeah, I represent the manager of your national team. Would you look at that? Certainly
2: doing a good job, hasn't he? He's broken something like more than a billion euros with the transfer
0: deals. Oh. Yeah, I think, I think he's passed a billion. Sorry, I, I don't know how much you would get. Sometimes well, agents sometimes get part of the fee, don't they? And to think his first big move was, um, well, his first big international move was Hugo Viana coming to Newcastle in about 2002. Uh, that was a big deal at the time. It was. I think
2: everyone was surprised. He was a
0: bit crap. He has uh, brokered the transfers of a lot of very disappointing players.
1: Uh, if you Cast your mind back to last summer. Um, there was a story which did the rounds, which suggested I'm not, I don't think he's actually his agent. This ties in with my next point. Nicholas Gaitan and the <laughs> <laughs> the never-ending transfer to Man United. Um, it's been going on for five years, probably. It'll, it'll go on this summer as well, probably six years, perhaps even longer than that. It crops up every, every summer, probably every transfer window as well in some shape or form. Last summer, he was actually reported to be brought in to complete the deal to actually finally take Gaitan to Man United. Obviously, nothing ever came of it. I just wish this would go away. I, I Just just this one transfer. I mean, there are so many transfers out there nowadays which are completely bogus, which are just never going to happen, yet they persist in the
0: press. I, I think the highlight of the Gaitan rumours was when he signed a new contract and then within 24 hours, there was a new rumour that there was a uh, release clause in the contract that United were aiming for.
2: That was ex- accelerated by the fact that he himself... Said something along the lines of he's still looking to move on in the future or something like that. Yeah, of course he did.
1: I think he might have even said that in the website's the official, the club's official website's quotes on the contract. I could <laughs> be wrong there. I'm gonna have to go check that, but I think that's the case.
2: It's one of like those archetypal manufactured transfer rumors, though, isn't it? You know, when you've got like one player who was linked with a club once. Four or five years ago and that every time that player speaks about his future or the agent speaks about his future or whoever then it's always x target says this even if it's not even if they've not been in the chase for a while
0: the, the one thing i think it was interesting about what scott said about um menders being brought into that transaction despite not representing him it wouldn't be the first time there's a couple of players who um who have been transferred in a similar way um Nanny to Manchester United uh, only happened once the player dropped his agent and started working with Mendes. Um, Bebe in the same uh, in the same direction from Portugal to United. Uh, his agent at the time said, "You know, when Mendes arrived, I was basically out of it." And the club directors revealed at a I think I think the uh, the AGM that year that Mendes received 3.6 million euros of the nine million transfer fee. I mean. For a bloke who wasn't his agent. <laughs> Credit to him, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he's basically superhuman, but like the evil kind. He's he's a supervillain. George <laughs> Mendes is a oh, supervillain. I just realised something else about that Bebe transfer. That's the player who Ferguson hadn't seen play before he signed him. Was recommended by Carlos Kiros, who at that time was represented by George Mendes. <laughs> he's got his
2: fingers in a lot of pies he he's just
0: everywhere if it was just a bloke making money off transfers i wouldn't care that much but the fact is like with that Bebe transfer like with falcao it actually actively impacts you know how teams play teams transfer policies it actually when he's actually actively impacting squads and results that rubs me up the wrong way but anyway um the master magician of the transfer market aside i think what we've got a uh, one more candidate to come from, Jamie?
2: Yeah, so I started the uh, proceedings with talking about Mexican waves, and it's not quite the same theme, but it's going back towards people at football matches. And it's just, whenever you go to a game as a fan, and you get there, and there's always somebody around you that arrives late, leaves early for half-time, gets back early, gets back um, late from half-time, and then leaves before the end of the game. And then, you know, you sit there and you think about it. They have probably only seen about 40 minutes of it. And then uh, what was the actual point? What was the point of you coming to this game for you to miss so much of it, especially as well, because, you know, you'll see people leave early if a game's like gone, if it's 3-0 with like 10 minutes to go, 4-0 or whatever. But people leave when it's like 1-0 or 1-1 or 2-1. You know, there's one goal in it. And people will leave to air quotes, beat the traffic.
0: Oh yeah, you know what? That that phrase can be a can be a bonus candidate. There is nothing more irritating than that.
2: It tends to be worse though, and, and it's the same with Mexican words, probably, like uh, pre-season games or exhibition games or one-off things. I mean, I was um, I was at the the international friendly between Portugal and Argentina at Old Trafford in 2014 for the entire first half I've never seen so many people stumped by the idea of a ticket of a seat number on a ticket like walking up <laughs> on the aisle stopping gazing seeing if there was any gaps in the row going to sit down five minutes later somebody else comes along and moves them because they're in their seat and it's just like people at football matches are just idiots back in my younger days I, as a student I used to work at Sheffield United on match days and Um, there were so many people who would just sort of hang around on the concourses talking to each other occasionally glancing up at the screen of the match going on that they paid for a ticket for that was like 10 meters outside but they were just talking to each other and missing it all I found that weird as well it's not not the fans it's not specifically the fans it's just the way that some people sort of behave at games and like you go to a game to watch the game so why don't you watch the game
0: no no you you, i mean you are absolutely right it is (laughs) it's just weird more than anything we're a bit short on time we must uh probably cut the podcast here just to uh you know get out beat the traffic (laughs) (laughs) thank you once again both for uh for joining us this afternoon we will be back next week Until then, wherever you're listening to us, if you could recommend us to your friends, review us on iTunes, subscribe on iTunes, like us on places where you can like things. That'd be a massive help to us. We'd really appreciate it. You might make Scott smile. I don't think it's happened since about 1998. No. So give it your best shot. Uh, Leave us some nice reviews on uh, comments on SoundCloud, reviews on the iTunes store. But until next week, I've been Chris Dealey. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Scott. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Jamie.
2: Goodbye.
0: Bye-bye.